0: Hello everyone. Uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight uh, for a very exciting talk on a very timely topic uh, by a great speaker. Uh, so uh, we'll uh, enjoy the, the great talk today. But before that, we have a few logistics and introduction to go through uh, with a few minutes. Uh, so first of all, we thank boy for the uh, wonderful Zoom platform and their for support. And this recording, uh, this event is, co- is being recorded, and uh, it will be posted online. And uh, uh, you will receive an email for the notice. And thanks to our speaker, uh, Mr. Star Niebuhr today. Uh, so um, also, if you have any question, please type in Q and A. And more toward the end, uh, you can click raise hand in the QA and A session. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, this way you know you can uh, uh, have a discussion. You know, uh, speak out your question. Or speaker or answer from the QA box uh, as well. Just a few quick words about AWA. AWA, as you know, is a nonprofit profit organization. Uh, you know, um, membership-based. You know, professional organization promoting aerospace. Uh, it has strong presence in United States, in the nation, but also have international presence. Uh, our section chair right now is Dr. Jeff Puschel. Our executive director is Daniel Dumbacher. Uh, President Basil Hassan. And uh, uh, across many many countries, headquartered in uh, Virginia. So different level membership, professional, early career is actually also professional. Right now we have free uh, educator membership and high school membership. Uh, so just a few words about uh, our great volunteer, Dr. Jeff Ruchel, Sherry from JPL, Curtin from Boeing, Jennifer is uh, attorney, aerospace attorney. And RP is a, a, a great educator. So uh, Manny and uh, Luis education from Lockheed, and uh, Daniel from USC, Lynn from uh, Northrop Groman, and many more. Uh, so, you know, we work together and uh, to, uh, to, to, you know, to, to assist the community. And a very important part, AWA is a technical committee. Uh, it's a national organization and uh, is actually one of the uh, interesting core of AWA. And uh, you also have Engage, uh, Daily Launch, Aerospace America, and the discount for forums. And also uh, membership, you can advance your membership. Uh, For example, our speaker last week, Dr. Uh, Mark Lewis on hypersonic, Uh, he was our honorary fellow. Our section chair, Dr. Puchel is a fellow. And you also got awards. You know, uh, if you say this, uh, uh, Dr. Benoit Laqua, he invented the Vito uh, engine and uh, he got the Guggenheim awards. And the Honda uh, CEO, he got the uh, Reed awards. Uh, student membership, you can apply, uh, uh, you know, the scholarship, you know, those things. And uh, national forums uh, used to be five, but now the propulsion energy seems to be, you know, um, kind of on the side. So four major forums. And the Southern California, like LA or each section, has very strong connection to the industry. As you know, there's a very vibrant space community and uh, great heritage. And the uh, North Government had just launched the James, uh, James Webb telescope, that's really amazing. And they have new companies, uh, long-term space and uh, relativity relativity space, Rocket Lab, uh, Ampere, you know, 3D Mars. Uh, we keep uh, having events, you know, to uh, uh, keep uh, people network together and also newsletter. Uh, so if you have anything, welcome. Uh, so our, uh, our speaker today, uh, Scott, is the director of the cyber engineering at the Aerospace Corporation. Aerospace Cap- uh, Corporation, as you know, has very strong uh, program in cybersecurity and uh, he is the director of it. And uh, uh, SCAR is currently the Director of Cyber Engineering at the uh, the Aerospace, providing program protection uh, and the cybersecurity engineering support to the United States Space Force, Air Force, and other space customers. As a liaison for Space System Command's Chief Information Officer, CIO, uh, he's a technical advisor to the government leading teams in areas of architecture, uh, secure uh, software development, test and evaluation. And the supply chain risk management. All these are very important. Uh, Scott served his active duty uh, enlistment in the United States Air Force in Europe, uh, the Middle East, Africa, and Central South America. Uh, He graduated with a bachelor's degree from uh, New School University in New York. uh, And uh, 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 he graduated from Capella University with a Master of Science degree in information technology, information security. Uh, He is currently certified chief information security officer, uh, a certified information system security professional, uh, and the project management uh, professional PMP. All these are very exciting. So uh, without further ado, let's welcome uh, our speaker today uh, so uh, uh, for a very exciting topic. Uh, thank you,
1: Scott. Thank you, what an introduction. <laughs> I don't know how exciting project management professional is, but, but I'll take it. Um, Thanks, I know, Ken, it's been a while we've been trying to do this, uh, so thanks again for the introduction. I'll just go ahead and see if I could take over uh, the share screen here if, uh, if you let me. Okay, I see it down here. Uh, we, should, uh, we should get started I'm on the queue. All right, everyone should be ready to go, okay. Just slide over so I can actually see uh, the folks on on the Zoom call. Well, um, like Ken mentioned, uh, you know, we tried to do this um, uh, some time ago, probably two, three years ago, before COVID. So we're, we're uh, at least we're doing it via Zoom. Uh, I've run uh, security programs for Fortune 500 companies. Uh, Leading risk assessments, but now not only looking, you know, for gaps in, in systems, but also uh, best practices, trying to find best practices. So it's not only looking for, you know, things that can go wrong, but it's also looking for some, some really, you know, positive things along the way. Uh, you know, and, and as such, you can reduce costs uh, by doing this, you know, and bring to bear an economy of scale. Uh, But uh, tonight's really gonna be focused on, um, you know, protecting critical technologies. And and this is something I've done before, products were uh, brought to market. Uh, And so when I speak, it's not just relative to maybe the DoD federal space, I'm really talk broad and wide uh, overall uh, industries. Um, I brought some of these processes uh, and just for ease of use and scalability. So when I talk in generalities, uh, there's frameworks and things as such, but uh, think about scalability. You know, if you can apply it in one area, uh, then you know, think, think larger than that. Um, and, and we'll hopefully go through some, some of these uh, methodologies that you can use. Uh, so a little bit about me. Um, you know, I, I think it's important, I'm, I'm sharing this about myself. I, I don't normally like to talk about myself, but uh, perspective matters. Uh, I'm probably an outlier when it, it comes to, to some of the work I do. Uh, up on the upper left you see I was uh, born in uh, Jersey right across from uh, Manhattan in New York City and I grew up in a place called Jersey City. I went, uh, went to school uh, there and, and my time spent in New York City, you'll see on the, the upper right. Uh, by the time I was in, in high school, I was playing with uh, Commodore 64s and, you know, phone freaking and, and hitting up BBSs, it's bulletin board systems. Uh, trading games and wares and things like that, but I was also going to uh, hardcore shows and see a place called CBGB. So I'm coming from a different perspective, and I think than most. But that, that really, I think it kind of um, you know kind of sets the stage in a different perspective. And many of the folks in cybersecurity that I run across really don't come from maybe some traditional backgrounds. Uh, so uh, just think about that kind of, uh, we, we all come from different backgrounds and everyone has something you know, interesting to bring. Uh, you did mention my, my enlistment time, I uh, see on the bottom left, um, you'll see here, this is uh, my very first uh, TDY, temporary duty. I was on my way to Africa and stopped off in Ascension Island and would come to play later on in, in my career. You know, Ascension Island was used on during the Falkland Wars, um, but it's also used as a communication site, and just being around that type of environment and technology uh, early on in my career uh, you know, w- was fruitful later on when, um, when I uh, was dealing with some of these comm sites uh, you know, for other activities. Um, you know, some other pictures uh, this was uh, where we were headed to on that particular TDY that was on the bottom left. is. Uh, in Angola. <laughs> uh, this is a very interesting place. We, we had to fly in um, during the daytime and not at night because they'd shoot us down with triple A, that's anti-aircraft artillery. And then um, and the other pictures there in South America. Some come from a different perspective. Uh, I guess you could say, though, my professional career started um, you know, uh, the second pro- professional career start when uh, I started with uh, Boeing. Um, and then also I spent some time at, at Booz Allen Hamilton. My time at, at Boeing, uh, probably the biggest takeaway was uh, my, th- th- that is saying is finding a way. Uh, and they're really, you know, stressed this this root cause analysis, really finding, you know, solutions and, and getting to the bottom of particular problems. Um, so I, I can tell you uh, that, that kind of just carries through the way uh, my processes and my methodologies uh, today uh, you know, Booz Allen one of the things I could a big takeaway from booze Allen my work at booze was the, this this value of my time you know I knew how much you know clients were um, you know being Charge for, for my hourly time. And, and so I really kind of uh, understood, okay, yeah, my time's worth something and, and all of our team members' time's worth something. Um, so appreciate anyone that's you know, been dialed in and, and on this call right now. Um, so, so time is valuable. Uh, the other part I learned from Booz was uh, this idea of follow on work. Okay, you always got to be forward thinking and anticipate future problems. So uh, when I'm speaking today, then you know that's my perspective that's where I'm coming from. Um, you know, I worked a number of different programs at Boeing, and I ended up uh, working uh, majority of my time with the direct, as a direct report for the chief security officer at um, at Boeing. And so, the the processes I learned were, were really enterprise wide and and used for for scalability. so Sure. So. Um, this uh, this picture right here you're seeing is uh, taken on campus at LMU. Um, I teach uh, one night a week. I teach a, a series of cybersecurity courses at LMU, and I think uh, this is exactly where I think cybersecurity needs to be. It it, it fits in very nicely in under system security engineering. Um, it's a multidisciplinary approach. Uh, uh, but also, you know, uh, throughout my my career, I've started an increase on, uh, there's an increased focus on supply chain risk management. So I'll be talking a little bit, um, you know, about supply chain risk management uh, as well. So uh, if you think that, um, you know, there's things that you may want to to see and talk about uh, when uh, when I'm done presenting or, or along the way, don't hesitate to you know raise your hand or uh, put something in the chat. I'm not actually monitoring the, the chat box on here, but maybe Ken can you know uh, interrupt and, and don't don't hesitate if you, if you want to interrupt. So I'm going to move on to um, the the next truck. Uh, if, uh, if you'd like to participate in this poll everywhere, if you, I'll give you a, a minute or two to, to log in, you can either text or log in. I'm gonna go ahead and activate this poll. So I'm gonna have to stop this share real quick. Okay, I wanna make sure I have to, I have to activate it works much better uh, when, uh, when we're in person, but hopefully um, hopefully you'll be able to see it too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it back up and share it, so. And then present. All right, just got to slide it over on my other screen and um, hopefully it will, it will be without a delay, too much of a delay here. Okay.
2: Is there a way you could share the link to the poll in the chat
1: yep okay let me get my chat window open. So we may have some folks um, just dialed in also correct or
0: yeah mostly uh, you know not on the phone they mostly I think they have
1: internet access Okay. So uh, I'll put the text one if people are on phones or if you would just want the, the web address, I can put it in. I'm just gonna type it in instead of a cut and paste. And I'm assuming everyone can see that uh, correctly. Is that uh, true?
0: Did you post it to everyone? It, just, it should should be um, yes, yes. Show up, yeah. No, you, you need to see that everyone. Uh, let me. Well, I can do it from this this end.
1: And we'll go to responses. Okay, so that 50 right now This will this will help shape the, the conversation Okay, so PM scientists, good. And I grabbed some of these, um, you know, just from, just from the, the website, just get an idea of the, the membership activity and, and at least who's on the line. Yeah, sysadmin is um, you know a lot of a lot of c- cybersecurity folks come in through a networking background and uh, usually kind of you, you 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 cut your chops uh, doing those types of activities. Okay, so uh, really trying to help shape the discussion. It, it seems like. Um, you know, maybe may uh, an architecture, engineering, com network, okay. we certainly can cover that. And this is more for me, just kind of my uh, understanding of, you know, where, uh, where are people coming from, what they think is, is the most important. Hmm. I don't know if that's working correctly. Because I'm not seeing it move or perhaps I'd have to wait for, their, for it to be over. Okay. And uh, we'll move on to the biggest uh, threat. This usually works better when there's a, a live audience and people you know, play around. Root kits, okay. A human, <laughs> uh, probably nation state uh, adversary, uh, the human factor, okay. Good. Uh, verification. I'm thinking was it was that software verification It might've been with the, the word cloud. And then just kind of an overall idea of, okay, what is cybersecurity? Yeah, the title is Protecting Critical Technologies. Well, we'll touch on cybersecurity. Obviously, I've got a strong background in it, but I want to cover kind of an overarching and more holistic approach because the discipline does does cover quite a bit. Virtual world protection, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's not just the, the networks anymore and, and systems. Uh, IP, yeah, that's uh, probably being a big part of the discussion, especially if you're not working on the Department of Defense side. Uh, you know, IP is is what's uh, critical for, for your business to, to operate. And then uh, identity theft, yeah, from, from the personal side. Okay, we'll, we'll move along here and then uh, just kind of get an idea of you know your, whatever the role is you may perform it may be different than kind of what uh, what your background is what your title is you know sometimes we do uh, we do have additional duties and I'm just curious to see yeah okay exactly <laughs> that's cover Jack of all trades covers additional duties right uh, mission resiliency and protection yeah that's a good one that um that uh, covers quite a bit too, yeah. Uh, admin, uh, software, and network development. <laughs> Chief, <manager. laughs> yeah, and user. Yeah, well, you could just be a user too. And uh, I know there, they may we may have some students on as well. They're part of the membership, so I, uh, you know, was hoping. Okay, maybe there'd be, um, yeah, something along those lines. I think I, there's maybe one more. Okay, what, what topic, and I'm going to make sure, you know, I do have the poll everywhere I can go back to, um, it saves, but I'll, I'll write some some of these down if things pop up, we want to cover. Take this time to have some, some tea.
2: Give a few moments here, because it takes a while to type.
1: Yeah, the freeform text ones um, usually take uh, takes, uh, takes a bit testing online protection techniques. Uh, FPGAs, okay. We, we'll cover that um, a little bit. Uh, field programmable gate uh If you want to get into, you know, some of the things we can do. Okay. Quite a bit on this word cloud. All right. Well, I'm, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna stop that and. Kind of go back to the the main presentation and, and kill that for now. But so yeah, I got a good idea of um, you know what everyone wants to uh, you know what everyone wants to hear about. <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll uh, I'll do my best to try and cover uh, as much as I can. So thank you for participating in in the, in the poll everywhere. All right now if, um, you should be able to to see my screen. is, is this correct? Is that a true statement? Yeah, maybe give a thumbs up or just a verbal yes, I'm, I'm still screen sharing. Very good. Can you see it okay? No, I'm not hearing uh, anything. so I'll I'll, uh, I'll restart the, the screen share. Maybe maybe it dropped out. Okay, I'll uh, I'll re-share on two. How about that? Can you see it okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'll just have to, let me, give me a second. I'm just moving my, uh, my PowerPoint around here. Okay, so Okay, it's on a different scene on a different slide. Maybe if I advance, it, it'll, it'll, it'll work uh, better. Well, no, for some reason, it doesn't want to be, it's not showing that one. Give me a second. Let me kill this one and re- reopen it. I think it's getting confused with too many, um, too many shares happening. All right, this should do it. All right. All right. So you, and good. You can see the 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 screen on the, on there. There's advanced slide. Oh uh, no. Is it okay? No slides. Okay. Oh, I gotta go back in here and put it on again. Here it is. I'll um I'll just put it on on PowerPoint instead of the entire um, screen. So it's it's sharing the app instead of the, the screen. How about now? Does that work? Yeah, you see the the poll, poll everywhere. Article. Okay, good. So um, the first thing we should talk about is identifying your your mission. Uh, if if you're working in the DoD or intelligence community generally your, your system is designed to have a mission, right? If, um, if you don't have a mission, then, then why are you building it? Right? <laughs> It'd be a waste of taxpayer money, or if you're, uh, if you're, if you're working for a business, you know, why are you building it? Um, so maybe, um, you know, c- can you give me you know, some ideas, like what, what would be like the most important thing about your system, right? If you're talking a communication satellite, it would be you know, the communication features that you know, you're providing. Uh, and then you 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 kind of go down the list of okay well how, what do you need to do you know for the system you know to to provide that function of communication so uh, the, but the first really thing is identify what is, is is your core mission you may have multiple missions on your on your systems right it may be designed to perform a multiple multitude of different things but you really want to focus on what really is uh, truly an important uh, to your mission. And if you're talking in, the, in a business sense, it would be what's important to your business. Uh, and you gotta think about, okay, well, what services maybe this system provides uh, you know, to others? So don't just think about, okay, says this system does X, Y, Z, but also think of maybe the, the end users or some residual users that you may not be aware of. And that'll really help you protect what, what's really most important. And that's I think I'm gonna you know stress with this conversation and discussion is you know, we should really be focused on what's truly most important to your systems and and uh, because we can't protect it all, unfortunately, um, at least in of cybersecurity uh, and overall protection, it just there's just not enough resources to protect everything. So getting this part down is um, is very crucial. Uh, there's a number of different ways you can find out what your mission is, but but generally speaking, you know if if you're on a one particular project or program, you're going to know what your mission is. It may be very high level, um, but that's okay because that that's where you start. Uh, so don't um, you know don't think too much about uh, all the intricacies because we're going to dig down and we do analysis along the way. But you got to really think and focus. Okay, what is truly the core mission? on the Department of Defense side, the DOD side, it's clearly spelled out in, in a number of documents. Um, I didn't want this briefing to be about all those documents. Uh, I could share uh, enough of them in, um, in the chat and I'll be, be sure to provide references. Uh, there's this plenty of documentation that, that tells you where you'd go and find some of these things, but essentially it would be your, your key performance parameters, things of that nature uh, would then help you know support your mission. So move on to the next slide. Once you've you figured out um, you know, what your, your mission is, uh, you want to conduct uh, a criticality analysis. And uh, here, you, know, you can call it a CA, uh, or in the, the business term, it, it's a business impact analysis. And at this time, too, if you're in the DoD, you would be conducting a critical program information determination. That what is, what's so critical about your information that you are trying to protect? I like to, to think of the criticality analysis is you're trying to keep the bad stuff out, right? And then the critical program information is all the information you're kind of keep and protect close hold. Uh, it's a very simple analogy, but but it applies in the case when we're talking about uh, protecting critical technologies. Um, and, when I, and I use the term, um, technologies, uh, it could cover processes as well. It doesn't have to be a particular component. You may have a, a very unique way of manufacturing that is exclusive to you or your business uh, or your program, and you wanna protect that. Um, one of the programs I supported, uh, X37, you know, we, we worked with composites, right? Uh, just, uh, just the manufacturing process alone is, is very, uh, very unique. Uh, you know, how many applies uh, you put down, you think of, you know, the software and the model-based systems engineering is all those types of things is, is an overall process. You want to protect that stuff. You don't want that to take it out because then a competitor can get, then get it in the hands of a competitor, or worse, an adversary get uh, get a hold of it, and they can duplicate it. So all that money you spend on research and development, all the effort and uh, all the engineering effort you put into it is is for nothing. So uh, that's what is done in, at this stage. Is when you do this analysis, and uh, during this stage, it, it helps really helps identify, understand, and the impact of the outages and disruptions to your system. Because uh, when, when you find out what's most critical, well, then you, you find out, oh, wow, if we don't have this particular component or part, or if it degrades to a certain level, uh, we're host, then our system doesn't operate at uh, where we want it to be. Um, so, this, this part also um, defines the priorities uh, you know, and which functions of the system or the processes need to be recovered most quickly. Uh, I mentioned that part of it because there's this term, and I saw the the um, one of the the, uh, the the poll results was, was um, uh, mission assurance and this piece of uh, you know resiliency. Well, right now we ha- we've got to be able to operate our systems through a cyber attack. Um, yes, also we have to operate through maybe a kinetic attack, but. There's this idea of resiliency. Okay, you know what would it take so we can maintain at least a minimum baseline to operate through uh, a cyber attack? Now, if it's your your business, well, what can you do to, to recover as quickly as possible so you can go back into business and uh, you know start making money again? Um, in this case, you know I'll give an example. If um, if you're a, a web-based company and, and your uh, retail outlet on your, your uh, you know, have customers, have a, it's all web-facing traffic and then your your payment system goes down. Well, you know, if you're not generating the revenue coming in, you probably want that back uh, in, in a fast order. So that would be one of your priorities. Um, but this also helps uh, minimize technology compromise. When we, what I mean by that is it helps minimize the fact that, okay, uh, the technology uh, doesn't get compromised before its time. Let's say uh, when we're developing systems, sometimes we know that there's only a certain amount of lifetime before, let's say, our adversary gets a hold of it. It should be factored in, uh, and it should be factored in so you can, you know, protect what's most important, and then put the resources that that are needed for that, and then not worry about uh, so many things that okay, we know it's probably kind of out there already. Uh, And that kind of goes back to the the polar everywhere uh, answer that someone put in for intellectual property. Uh, And many times, um, you know, I I go with the assumption assumption that, you know, if if it's, if it's a standard system, and it's an internet facing system, you're probably someone's already on your system. Intellectual property, well, you know, it depends on where that resides. Uh, That could be compromised, or it could not be compromised already. But Chances are, and you may find this out through, let's say, a merger and acquisition type activity that, oh, guess what? That intellectual property that you uh, thought was so valuable and that only you, only your, your company is the only one that had it. Guess what? It's already being sold on uh, the dark web or something. Uh, and then it's a, it comes as a real surprise sometimes when you're doing a merger and acquisition and, you, and there's some due diligence activities that go on. And I guess what your company's you know, not worth as much as what you thought it was because of that, because you're betting on your intellectual property being, you know, your crown jewels. So, uh, this phase we ID the the critical components, or in, in the case of a business, let's say you know the, the crown jewels of your company. Um, you should be able to provide a quantitative and qualitative analysis when you're doing this, and uh, you know maybe later, you know, if there's time, I can help walk you through some of uh, some of the steps that you can take to do that. In this area, we identify critical mission threads. If um, again, if you're in the DoD side, and then the components that support those threads. This is uh, very similar to uh, what's called the FAMICA. Anyone, um, anyone online uh, familiar with with that term? You can just okay, go off mute and uh, you know join in, if, if you are.
2: Is it on the analysis slide or is it on a different slide?
1: No, no, this is, um, Famica is, is on this slide. So yeah, are you familiar with that term?
2: It's not on this slide actually, you're on the analysis slide.
1: Yeah, 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 I'm just, I'm just saying it. I can, I'll, maybe I'll see if I can type it in the chat here. Um, if I can get this chat window opening. <laughs> Normally I keep another one going. Um, so is FMECA is F M E C A. It's a failure mode effect and criticality analysis. So it's very similar to uh, what's done in uh, the civil aviation industry. Uh, it's been it was, I think, developed early in the in the, the 40s, late 40s and, and 50s, and uh, later matured in the 60s and, and published. Uh, you know, for everyone to use, uh, but it's. Uh, the Civil aviation uses it's very similar to how they combine a, a FE, FMEA and then a fault a tree analysis. What this, this does is, you know, provides an end-to-end functional decomposition of a system. And helps reduce the the vulnerability uh, uh, to the functions and the components by uh, what do we start off with with just uh, decomposing this uh, architecture system architecture and then aligning these technologies and threats with uh, determining the overall impact to the system uh, uh, to the functions in those components um, it, it's a very methodical process the DoD has um, you know, it has it published in, in documentation to, to follow along step by step, but hopefully, uh, at least from this conversation, you don't have to strictly follow it if, if you're not, uh, if you're not required to, uh, you can enhance it. There's many things you can do to, to make it better, uh, just as long as you get the overall idea that you have to identify, uh, you know, the, the main component that's, you know, providing these the mission threads and then decompose that even further and it's through an architecture uh logical diagrams things of that nature and and you're basically you know follow the bitstream along it's like okay you know we start here and then we go along the path and, and say if this somehow fails along the way along this path you know what what harm could it do could it deny degrade this system or uh, totally reduce its capability so it don't function at, at all so it's really just helps us to understand and consider the the risks, uh, and and along the way, uh, the supply chain risk that, that may be associated with that particular component. Okay, um, so when the, this criticality analysis, we use the same. Uh, classification as uh, you know, same severity classification. All uh, um, you know, it's catastrophic. Uh, it's, it's one through four, four being catastrophic. Uh, no, sorry, one one's, one is is catastrophic. Two is critical. Three is marginable, and four is negligible. These are the the reverse effects on it. Um, so you don't have to use one through four if your company or a particular program if you use other types of methods to identify uh the uh, criticality of your systems you can use them it's just uh, one through four is kind of the the standard within the DoD Um, and I'll go ahead and I'll put some um some information in the chat so then uh, you can go ahead and research some of this more uh you know online at, at your leisure so uh, well, along these, um, you know, with a lot of this information is is provided in what's called uh, program protection planning, and that's kind of where um, you know the the background for all of this uh, that I'm coming from uh, began. Uh, and now, uh, in in let's say in um, 2012 is when it started getting pushed into official formal policy, where you started to have to do it part of uh, better buying power. Uh, and so these documents are all available out there uh, for you to, to use and hopefully, uh, you know, mature your programs or if uh, your business, you can use them for, for, your, for your businesses. Um, so but there, there is also some commercial alignment here. The ISO uh, has a series um, on business continuity uh, management and, and for, for their systems. So ISO series, uh, again, is an international. National series of standards, right? Uh, that that you as a company, if you're going to agree to, to participate in the, in the marketplace, you're probably using ISO standards to some effect, and they there is some commercial alignment there within their their business continuity management and planning. Um, so I'll move on to the next. Uh, Truck. So if well while we're still on here, you see there's critical components in CPI, and then for if you're on the business side, you'll have these priorities and dependencies. But it's very similar, um, uh, just maybe different uh, terminologies. And uh, so here here's why business impact analysis is important. This was from um, a Romanian document that outlined it. Uh, I mean th- their analysis. Resulted in saying that the business impact analysis is the most <laughs> relevant element in understanding how a, an organization functions, and together with this other piece of it, the, the tail piece of it is performing a risk assessment. I'm not going to. Um, you know, it's like the, the the calculations that they came up with. But it was, at least it was a methodical approach they took to say, yeah, you know, we, we knew for years that, you know, you got to conduct a business impact analysis, at least in cybersecurity. It's one of the first things that um, you have to do, you know, find out what's most critical to your systems. If, if you're studying for any of the certifications, you know, you can bet there's going to be questions on it, uh, on business impact analysis. But um, you know, so so it's important, but this actually, you know, as re, this, this particular analysis, you know, provides that to us and shows this, you know, yeah. It's it's really important because this, so if you wanna protect your system overall and holistically, you have to start with the, this BIA. This so I mentioned kind of my, um, you know, my background and where I was coming from. And that I come from this very, you know, broad range. I started, you know, when I started with, Owing I was actually uh, hired in to do uh, physical security, be the physical security subject matter expert, right? Um, but uh, it, you, when you take the the field of infosec and or cybersecurity, it's much broader than that because it, it covers a lot of these other disciplines. Especially, um, you know, if you're if you're a small, medium business, or even a large business, there's all these other types of security functions and, and disciplines that go along with it. I've got personnel. I've got uh, operations, which is OPSEC. You may have communication security. Um, you know, with, with the poll every, everywhere results we saw up there, someone's interested in that communication security. Well, right now, if you're within the DoD space, you know, you're probably familiar with in- encryption. That's how we protect communications. Um, encryption is very important. Yes, we do it on, um, you know, on the commercial side, uh, maybe to a certain extent. It's gotten popular now uh, for personal home use with VPNs and such like that, but uh, the encryption when you're talking about mission systems and, like I said, uh, when you've got national security type systems, the encryption has to be <laughs> very secure and built into your architecture, right? Um, so there's that's a whole discipline into itself. Um, you know, we know that encryption is is only good for a certain you know amount of time, devices and and um, you know, the whole architecture can, can, you know, get sunsetted after a while because we know adversaries can, can figure out ways to go ahead and break the keys, right? Especially with quantum computing. I didn't see that pop up on the, the poll because that's, that's something that's kind of come, come up over the past years. And it's like, okay, with, with the advances in quantum, you know, you know what, what's it going to do for our, our encryption schemes? But that's something you have to think about uh, when you're building out your architecture. Encryption is very important. You know, where are you gonna place those encryption points? All right, and you know, in, in some cases, you may require really uh, high bandwidth, right? And if, if you put encryption in, in wrong, let's say, through points and, and bottlenecks, then you're gonna provide yourself with your own denial of service, and, uh, and you're gonna hose your system. If, if you provide so much encryption that your, uh, your latency is too much, then your system will fail to operate. So these are all kind of factors that uh, whether you're a cybersecurity professional or not, you have to factor in while you're designing and building systems. Um, And then just, uh, you know, we mentioned uh, software, I know popped up, Uh, software is very important and uh, not just application software, just software in in general. Uh, So those are some of the things that we're uh, having much greater scrutiny um, on. And uh, I'll go move, move on to the next side. Um, I didn't check out the, um, uh, the Netflix movie yet, uh, but I know that um, there, there's softwares kind of, um, you know, being, uh, being uh, blamed for a number of different causes, uh, you know, not just the, the 737 Max, but uh, there's uh, some incidents in what it was uh, July of, 2015, it caused a number of delays with United Airlines. At the same time, the stock exchange went down and they, they called them glitches in software. And I, when I hear that term, I almost kind of cringe. It's like, well, is it really a glitch or is it just you know the way things are coded? Or maybe they didn't think you know overall end to end of how the system would operate. And performing some of those early tasks that I mentioned uh, would would you know help find some of those those problems at least um, when you're when you're talking a system of system type um, uh, mentality? You, know, you if you if you test um, and you you kind of build things in and you know where your, your failure points on you should be able to find even you know problems with your software. One thing I didn't um, I didn't uh, mention, which I want to kind of land on the other side is um, kind of been getting into this book here is chaos engineering um, and this is where uh, the folks at at netflix actually built um, you know built failure into their system they created this thing called the chaos monkey so they built it into they built failure into the system so the system would fail at irregular intervals and and rates and irregular intervals just so they knew that could they could be more resilient Uh, excellent book if you want to kind of get into a little bit more of this different way of thinking of, of, of yeah, you know, we, we have to plan for you, uh, the system to fail so we can best recover. Um, so any, anyway, if uh, anyone wanna come off mute and and any, you know anything about the, the the 737 Max a little bit and kind of um, you know say their side of the story, what they think they know about it.
2: What I know about the 737 Max is basically based on public information. But what I do know was there a couple of things at play here? Uh, one, uh, the lack of redundancy in the AOA probes to sense. Second, the having a uh, AOA alpha display in the cockpit was an optional feature, as was having a redundant AOA sensors, I believe. And thirdly, uh, there was uh, a human factors uh, training issue and as well as uh, the the um, I guess the human factors interface, in that uh, pilots were not able to quickly recognize the situation and take appropriate action. It was probably math or something else.
1: That, that great, great, um, great synopsis. I, I threw this in kind of at the last minute because i um, was out to dinner on on uh, Saturday and. Uh, met with, um, you know, someone that worked, you know, previously with Boeing many years ago, and he didn't have any direct knowledge of it, but he mentioned the movie and we got started talking about him at dinner and I'm like, Oh yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I'm bringing it up on, let me do some research. And, and, um, you know, the charts pretty much show, you know, the at least the initial part of the problem. Okay. Um, they want to sell, you know, more seats, you know, so bigger engine, right. Um, a lot of safe fuel, whatever the the reasons was, you know, you can bet it was economical, right? Uh, And so, but they, from what I've, from what I know, it sounded like they were trying to um, leverage too much on the software side. And here, that's why I said, and this is from the article, the IEEE article, The solution to its hardware problem was a software um, uh, solution. And that's, um, that obviously didn't work. I mean, it, it could work if, if you have all these other things in, right? Uh, the redundancy, which you mentioned, and then the sensors, if you had enough sensors and things like that, and if, it's, if the pilots were properly trained in this area, right? You know, okay, these are all things that you could maybe call uh, in, the, in the, the risk world that I live in, and the cybersecurity world, these could be all countermeasures, you know, they could be all okay. Well, these are countermeasures to, let's say, a, a problem that you you know that can cause a failure somewhere. Um, I like the fact that you mentioned redundancies too, uh, Santosh. Hopefully, I I pronounced your name correctly because that that's some one of those things we look for. Um, that we're when we're doing a criticality analysis. If there's if you're having you know triple redundancy in space systems. We've got a lot of redundancies because <laughs> um, you can't just go swap out hardware and things like that. Uh, and and software at one time it was really difficult to to push updates. But but just because things are redundant does not necessarily mean it, it, it's critical or it's uh, those higher level critical components. But it's it, it's it's a good key to to look for and hone in on when you're doing a criticality analysis. Um, uh, the the thing with redundancy though it uh it may not buy you what you need to to address a supply chain issue and uh, the reason i say that is because um uh, a good analogy i worked uh, some navy programs in the past and a um, person i worked with would always use the analogy of it's like well we have got this really high-end you know fancy you know race car um and then you're you're tires you know keep blowing out when you're racing it um you know and uh you know so whatever your 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 driver's side uh tire you know blows and then you, you throw another tire on right well if you're getting them from the same supplier you're not you're not really buying anything else and so that's why when we get to the supply chain risk management side of the house you know, we try and do blind buys or double blind buys, things of that nature. We, 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 we don't just get things from the same supplier or we mask you know, who it's actually going to. Um, so this way it may give you some, some level of confidence that you're getting um, you know, different products along the way and you're not getting the same, um, let's say compromised product. So hope, hopefully that makes sense.
2: I forgot to mention a couple of things here. One, the original caused the problem. Was going back to the Boeing 737 was designed for short field operations at remote airports. So because of the they designed the aircraft to ride lower. It does not have as long as a strut as other aircrafts to the 757. And uh, when they canceled 757, that left the 737 as the only aircraft that was single aisle, narrow body. That, that they decided to extend the size of it. Sim- sim- uh, simultaneously, the after the 737 200 series. They went from a low bypass turbofan to a high bypass turbofan with the CFM International CFM 56 engine. And they had, that's when the problems began. And uh, that they had to, you know, because you have a larger nacelle, they had to move the nacelle higher and forward uh, in order to accommodate it. Otherwise, it would hit the ground. That's why the, the nacelles of a 737 300 and higher are actually kind of flattened. They move the accessories to the side. So it looks like it's flattened on the intake. Then they went to the max. They put an even larger, more powerful engine. So they had to move it even further up and forward, and that changed the thrust line, and that was the root cause of it pitch up, of pitching up uh, on takeoff, potentially putting it on a departure stall on takeoff. So that was the root cause. That's how they. That's what they created MCAS to try to, uh, you know, like a by wire like design to try to use software to prevent the pilot from stalling the aircraft. Now the other aspect of it is is that uh, there's been some debate. Uh, I know a North, former Northrop B two test pod said that well. We disconnect the MCAS the same. We just disconnect the autopilot for all uh, Boeing 737s. He reach down, he hit the uh, two two cutoff switches, so you should just react the same way they all do. Uh, you have know, that versus whether it was usable and 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 whether he was it had the pilot had enough time to react. So, those are the two sides of the debate for this uh for these mishaps on the 737 Max.
1: And uh, that excellent, excellent uh, the, the the lower strut design uh, that came up in um. You know, I said conversation at dinner, conversation too. Um, so, uh, Brian, I think, did you have a question or you wanted to comment?
3: Oh, yeah. It sounds like your last commenter was very well uh, um, understanding the depth of the uh, aerospace uh, problem you know, with regard to cyber cybersecurity systems. But uh, I'm wondering, with all this talk about uh, the engineers talking about uh, the systems interaction and, and understanding what went wrong and what could be, Uh, designed into a system is the business does the business people Does the business uh the people in the business know this discussion that's going on among the engineers i mean this is not the first time that the engineers discuss things the business people overlook right
1: yeah i mean personally i um and this is you know my my time i almost spent 10 Almost ten years at Boeing, and 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 during my time, I, I heard you know quite a few people retire say you know this used to be an engineering company, and and that's and it's not an engineering focused company anymore. And that's and that's you know maybe that's one of the things that um, you know why companies get into the trouble you know financially is they don't stick to their core business, and they got to go back to the core business. If if we're for an engineering company, then we 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 stick to that, and that seems to be the. I did not watch the film, but I think that's kind of where the the perspective the the film is coming from, that it's you know they didn't listen to who um, who was providing them with the problems, uh, and they just went ahead with uh, with their own solutions, and they didn't they didn't listen to the the folks that um, that they should have. So, excellent. Thank thanks for thanks for sharing that, Brian.
3: You're welcome. And uh, one of the first. Uh, um private astronauts that uh, paid to go to the space station. Wasn't he, uh, his expertise was financial engineering?
1: I'm not not sure, (laughs) I'm not sure.
3: But all I got was one course in economics in my engineering curriculum, so. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. so it's most likely, you know, my perspective here is most likely a business decision, so. Um. So, uh, what what did it say? Design shortcuts meant to make a new plane seem like an old, uh, uh, familiar uh, one aren't to blame, right? That's kind of the the I Triple E article. And anyway, I kind of threw it in because it, it goes along with okay, you gotta look at the big picture. Um, you know, systems and systems. You know, can't you know can't change one aspect of a particular system and think um, it's not going to have residual risk and that that goes for cybersecurity as well you may may change uh, and fix something here but uh, you know uh, it may have some consequences to, to when you're um, when you're trying to maybe uh, do something later on or have your system perform
2: scott quick comment here on the previous um, the B52H Stratofortress uh, the final variant of it that used the turbofan engines, the TF33 from Pratt-Whitney, it had a similar issue because it had way too much thrust. So they can't take off at full power or, or it will pitch up and stall. So they had a very uh, simple mechanical solution to the problem. They actually have a thrust gate that they're required to set that will prevent the throttle from moving to full power. So they set the gate for whatever thrust they've calculated is required for takeoff. And so when they take off, uh, they don't have to look down, they just push all the way forward and the thrust gate will physically prevent the throttle from going any further. And that was their simple solution to prevent the same problem that MCAS was trying to solve on the B-52 and this was done in the 1960s. Yeah,
1: I'm very familiar with B-52. I used to count rivets on them when I was uh, stationed upstate New York in, in Griffiths Air Force Base. That would that was, you know, uh, I would be out there on the flight line. Um, but so yeah, you brought up a good point too. Um, so there, there's a manual, there's this manual Uh, you know, workaround, let's say. And when we're thinking about criticality analysis too, we we rate them and we could put mitigations and countermeasures in. And when we're talking, you know, through that in an exercise, that's very important. Um, I'll go back to, to, uh, let's say satellite communications. So you may have um, a feature on a terminal where you can auto tune a frequency or something of that nature, right? Okay, you may have redundancies of that that um, tuner or, or something, or maybe it's kind of like an, an amplifier. Maybe there's knobs, you know, that that can be manually turned. Well, if if the automated feature fails, do you have that? ability to, to go maybe interact somewhere and and turn someone manually, you know, is there a workaround? So those are things you kind of want to keep in the back of your mind. In this case, it worked great for, for B-52, and it was implemented, and it was part of just the overall, overall process, and, you know, that was back in the 60s, right? So, uh, think about that, even when it comes to a cybersecurity aspects or something maybe electronic in nature, is there some kind of manual or uh, just a not um, automatic or not electronic process that you can put in place to help mitigate those risks or you know, provide, let's say, a countermeasure if uh, an adversary you know, comes up with something to, to try and um, you know, take down your system?
2: The real solution was to have not canceled the 757 or restart production of it because they are trying to turn... The 737 into a 757, which it is not, and that wasn't really the fundamental problem. If they had, they left the 737 alone as a short-range, short-size airplane, it would be fine. When they try to extend it and add all these other things to make it like a 757, that's when it failed.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's what I'm hearing, and um, you know, I'll, I'll probably put on the movie tonight or something.
2: That's why yeah. they're bringing—they're now with the NMA uh, in order to create a new 757 essentially.
1: Yeah, well, well, it, it's 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 much needed. So, all yeah, right, uh, talk, go ahead.
3: Talking about the interaction between automatic and manual control on the uh, the Max problem, the seven thirty seven Max, it it wasn't really a complete automatic solution, uh, and but the the fatal flaw was the uh, pilots in the control loop were not informed about what the automatic system was gonna do in the event that it got outside the uh, control envelope.
1: So the the training piece of it, that human factor training piece.
3: I suppose when your plane is crashing and you can uh, go into panic mode, pull out the manual and, and read the <laughs> documentation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that should be done before. Yeah, it should be done well beforehand. You to you know if you got this flaw, this is what you to anticipate. Not, not just, you don't you don't pull out the the training manual when you're in the middle of they
2: manual. That was the tragic part because part of the thing was they didn't want to. They were trying to sell it to the airlines as you don't need a new type rating, and the only way they could do that was by keeping the procedures the same. So any cockpit test was removed in order to prevent the need for a new type rating, and that's where the fatal flaw in the training was.
1: Yeah, you know, we you know, we see that too with parts too. I I could tell you when when you have to um recertify a new system. Uh, if, if you chum, somehow change, you know, lot numbers and th- if you change like part, even like when you're talking, even at the microelectronics level, sometimes, you know, you may have higher performance capabilities on, let's say, a new chip. But if you start introducing new technology and guess what? You have to have it, um, let's say, recertified, reaccredited, you know, all those different flavors of things you have to do. Um, and then that costs money. So, uh, it costs money, and it you know, also costs schedule. And so, you know, project and program managers they don't they don't want to do that, right? So they'll they'll try and use um, you know parts that may not be you know, some parts are not uh, not being made anymore. So you have to go kind of from the gray market. So there's an issue with parts too uh, with that with that type of mentality, um, and that that's a real problem. So that that's kind of the you know kind of the other work I do: supply chain risk management, which. Which is a good segue into the next chart, <laughs> supply chain risk management. Um, we're seeing it now quite a bit with um, with software, right? With Solar Winds and Log4j, um, but you really you need to do this just not not uh, you know take the the DoD and, and you know the real critical national security stuff aside, but you really need to, to get insight into what. Uh, you know, companies provide you to operate your business. Uh, we're seeing it with, with COVID too, because of, you know, things just are, aren't available. You're, 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 you can't put your product to market because your components and subcomponents aren't available. Um, you know, here, you know, uh, in the world I work in, we've got you know, uh, at least a good pulse on the defense industrial base, but we've been watching it uh, deteriorate over years um you know we've seen things such as what i call predatory acquisitions where uh you know companies are being acquired solely for their technology and they're being acquired by by foreign companies so we have things in place uh, you know such as CFIUS uh that's uh, Council on Foreign Investment and U.S. Interests um you know those types of things you know can help but sometimes they're they're too late to need and then if um I kind of go back to the beginning, if, if you're not identifying what's most critical to begin with then, and how can you even build a case, uh, let's say, to, to stop some of the, these activities. Um, I mentioned, you know, there's some, uh, I guess, interest in FPGAs um, and, and ASICs and, uh, you know, all there's some things that can be done, you know, in the pre-silicon, you know, phase. There, you know, there's things you can be asking of your your tier uh, two and tier three suppliers, you know, to to provide you with some documentation or some kind of level of assurance that uh, what they're going to provide you is not only of uh, quality and reliability, but it, it's free from from defects. Um, you know, I mean, it, to, to use an example that's been in the news, it's been a number of years, but Amazon. Uh, had these blue phones that were uh, for sale and for purchase very openly, um, and uh, you know they came installed with the malware already in, installed on the phone. I mean they're you know, like sixty bucks, so they weren't very costly. Uh, but the only reason that it came to light, at least it, it did in in a timely manner, was there was a security company that was bought a couple of these burner phones to take over overseas, and while they had them plugged into their corporate network over the weekend. Um, they saw all this traffic being uh, exfiltrated and going back uh, to China. Um, you know, it was a very odd behavior. So uh, what any good security company does, they started doing analysis and they found out it was this third party software that was built, uh, you know, is basically third party code that was running you know, within the, within the firmware, when, uh, when the logic devices were programmed and it was supposed to be just only for a test capability, company said, okay, you know, we, we, we meant to shut that off. Uh, Amazon had a problem, you know, uh, again, a few months later in the same instance with it. And um, anyway, so, so you got to be really mindful of that. It, it's, it's a reality. It's not um, science fiction. It's, it's, it, it, it happens and um, it's happening more frequently. So be mindful of uh, you know, not just what's in your uh, traditional, let's say hardware type supply chain, but also uh, the idea of what may be in um, you know, software and firmware. Uh, again, um, say uh, the, the chart says, identify the hardware and software that's most critical. And if you do these types of activities, in your criticality analysis, and include software, uh, when you do a criticality analysis, uh, you, you'll, you'll at least have some insights. Like, yeah, we cannot operate with, without this. Um, you know, For most you know, space systems, it, it's, it's almost, you almost have this long laundry list of things, especially when it comes to software. It's like everything for the software side is critical. you have to have it, otherwise it won't function. So this brings up um, this idea of uh, a software uh, bill of materials, right? We've got this S bomb now, but um, I'll uh, I'll talk more a little about that in uh, in 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 the future slides. Um, so here's a rant study, you know, for reference, if you want to um, you know see the importance of uh, your supply chain. It's becoming ever more um, crucial, and uh, it, there's you know it's an overall uh, you know supply chain risk management process, but. You know, just go beyond the FPGAs and, and there's suppliers, you know, I think the term needs to be interpreted a little bit more broadly. Um, you know, there, there's software being installed in manufacturing facilities that, you, you know, you're just not aware of. You can ask for that, you know, you know and there's some, uh, some companies you may have to pay extra in a premium uh, to get some kind of pedigree of security. But if your, your program or your company really relies on it, uh, it's worth investment, and at least you should be asking those questions. Um, there's, um, you know, there's industries that uh, have required this, you know, uh, you know this this idea that you have to provide this uh, ingredients list of uh, ingredients list of what's in your software, uh, you know, for a number of years. So it's it's not something that's totally new uh especially when it comes to you know SCADA and uh, uh, ICT systems those systems that may actually uh, control mechanisms and so it's not entirely something that is um, unusual and we there's something that we should be asking for it you know whether it's done by uh, an independent third party or you know self-affirm I've been seeing some traffic on uh, self-affirmation or some kind of government entity you know this is something that that should be done uh, just as a as a good best practice, especially for any of your your critical components. So um, I mentioned software, right? Um, and this this kind of came about, I think, of you know dealing with more of open source open source software. But there's a number of things um, that should be done. Uh, do do I'll oh, I'll just jump into it. So. Code analysis can be done either, um, you know, your, your, your static analysis or dynamic. Static you have to have access to the source code, and then dynamic is, is how the code actually runs in the operational environment. There's a number of a wide range of tools out there that that do both of these um, types of activities. None, you know, not one tool does it all. So you kind of you'd have to get a mix of tools, and depending, um, you know, within uh, you know you know say the, the systems and the platforms they operate. Uh, so the more complex the system you have, the more wide range of tools you may have to employ against some of these. Um, it can get very costly. Again, you know these tools aren't cheap. Um, expertise to, to know how to use the tools and actually produce valuable reports. And then you gotta think, okay, then you, gotta, you have to actually fix the defects that cost money. Uh, but so if, if you're really focused about this type of work and focus on what's most important, uh, to to your business or mission, uh, then maybe you can can reduce some of those costs. The other piece of this is the supplier assessment piece. Okay, you know you got to know who's providing this uh, these these components to you, and uh, the software is, is nothing you know it's, it's not different either. Uh, so you have to really be aware of uh, not only just the open source software that may be resident in your systems, but uh, to a larger extent anything. That um, that is running uh, software or firmware on your components. You, know, you you have to ask those types of questions. Um, so the the standard, I'll uh, I'll drop that in the chat too when um, we, we take a little break here. Is the IEC six two four four three series, and it's it's really. Um, was uh, relative to industrial control and automation type systems, like those SCADA type systems I mentioned previously. This was a process already built in. So when um, you know solar winds happen, I can tell you the folks, um, you know, companies like Honeywell, they they fared fairly well because they already had this uh, affirmation, these list of ingredients in in their software, because they had to provide that to whoever was buying their industrial control system components types of things okay oh, so scada systems are the um scada like if you're um, a power company or an electric company and uh, you're, you're you're running systems that um, manually operate um, you know uh, it could be it could be gate it could be valves it could be those types of systems sorry sorry santosh um, so here you see the chart on the software life cycle and how you have to, um, you know, have to be cognizant of, um, you know, the whole entire process. Oh wait, did I did I slip? Go back. Um, there. So we're missing a few steps here, and one of those, um, we didn't do a threat assessment, and we didn't do a vulnerability assessment. Those types of things need to be. Um, Addressed to, but uh, in the short amount of time, you know, it has to speak. You know, we couldn't possibly do that. You can get your your threats from a number of different sources. At least your your intel that you you pull from. Uh, if you're a company, you a large company, you probably have your own team that they're constantly looking, you know, for threats. Uh, you know what we call OSINT, open source intelligence. Um, you know, but but really, it, it, when you're talking about a, a system. Uh, that we're doing a decomposition on, it's really specific to that mission or that system. It's not just an overall threat. Um, you know, uh, there's the difference between a threat and a vulnerability. You know, there's lots of threats out there, but if you don't, let's say if you're not running a particular application or on a particular platform, um, you may not be vulnerable to that. And then so the, the risk equation is, you know, threat times vulnerability times likelihood is, you know, equals like the overarching risk. When well, we do a criticality analysis and we're kind of doing the threat assessment piece. Uh, you'll see uh, if we get to it a little bit later, that you know, there, there's a little bit difference between the, the, the likelihood and, and the consequence that kind of get lumped together. But I, would, I always like to add frequency, okay. Um, you know, how, um, you know, what, what's the frequency that this, that this may occur, because you may, you may see uh, instances in the past where it comes up, right, you know, quite a bit. Um, and so I would try and put the frequency in there, because that can, that can really um, give you some idea of, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit more than just um, a likelihood, where it is not um, so, uh, you know, quantitative. Uh, and, and, and some, sometimes likelihood is really just kind of, uh, I guess you're just throwing darts at it. But then also I like to throw in when uh, you're doing a, a, a threat assessment and a, a vulnerability assessment through in the process is, okay, do you have enough intel to, to figure out if your adversary's motivation, are they motivated to, you know, to harm your system at a particular point in time? Or if it's a competitor, um, you know, are they, how aggressive are they with, with you know, trying to steal your IP, right? Um, and an example I could use is, you know, if like I said before, if you have an a internet-facing system, you're probably already, you know, compromised, and there's, there's probably someone in your system already, right? Um, at least that's the assumption I go with. But is, is you know, a nation state or someone else really kind of motivated at this point to do something? Uh, in this case. Um, if um, if you're a small or medium-sized company, yeah, maybe maybe they're they're willing to take a risk. Or even if you're a large company, if it's just kind of the corporate espionage and and uh, IP theft, maybe they're they're um you know they're, they're pretty willing to do it. But if you're developing something that's critical to national security and maybe getting uh, the FBI or, or you know the the federal authorities involved, maybe they're not so um, eager to. To to turn on that switch right away and um, you know cause you harm. They may have stolen all of your, your intellectual property, but um, let's say you know, there maybe they're not so much uh, eager to to totally de- you know degrade or destroy some of your systems. So, all right, I, I slipped through that truck too quick. Hold on. Um, so kind of just summarizing the. Uh, this, this, I guess, part of my, my discussion is, uh, you know, you can, you gotta conduct analysis, uh, you know, how you do it, there's lots of methodologies out there. You can her you know, best to whatever your business is, is, is probably the, uh, the, my best recommendation. If you're, if you're in the DOD, you gotta follow certain criteria and I'll provide some of the, the resources, like I said, in the chat, and at least put, provide your links to those types of resources. Uh, and then also you wanna protect holistically. Just don't think of it as um, you know, the, the cybersecurity piece of it. Think of it larger. Uh, information security covers all these different uh, areas. Uh, it's, it covers the gates, guards, and guns piece of it too. And then also the, the recurring theme too is, is training. You know, um, your folks have to know uh, what to be looking for, whether it's doing these types of analysis or understanding the big picture. You know that systems, a uh, systems type of view and approach you know that information should be shared you know widely as best as you can uh you know to even to go back to the the pilot training all well, the pilots were trained in this area you know when uh aircrafts get uh, delivered there there's training facilities yeah uh 737's been around a long time but you know they maybe you know, it should have been known and pro- training provided okay you know it's going to cost us money to to add this training, you know, sessions and these training features and but it would have, you know, saved lives in the long run. Right. Um, so that kind of, um, uh, the, the, the end of the, the briefing part that I had ready to go. If, uh, if you want to, I'll be willing to take some questions. And, um, and if you kind of want to go through an exercise, I've got some other charts to, that, uh, can, we can go over a little bit of a little mock exercise if you'd like. Any um any other questions on on the, on the chat here?
3: Um, Scott, just one last comment about the seven thirty seven situation.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, from a systems point of view, and a pilot's perspective, it's probably not the best idea to have one plane handle uh, handle in a special fashion.
1: Why only this aircraft? Give me a.
3: On the user interface. So, you know, this sounds like an engineering software design flaw where they didn't really take into consideration the user interface for the entire flight envelope. I mean, if you're going to replace hardware with software, it should be invisible.
1: Yeah, it should be transparent. Well, and there should be another, th- I mean, just from you know, my perspective, I'm not um, you know, <laughs> an expert in these systems, but you know, wouldn't there be other, uh, other things that you would put in place and other mechanisms? It wouldn't just be this one software uh, approach to it, right?
3: Right, there's only so much that the pilots can handle from a human performance perspective.
1: Do we do we have any other um you know like uh, general questions or?
2: Can you repeat the uh, the contact information and in from your last slide? Oh, yeah, yeah, make, sorry. We send it to everyone because the reason we have gotten none of your uh, chat comments is because you have said it to hosts and panelists only. Likely, as opposed
1: oh,
2: to. Oh, yeah. What we didn't get the very first thing you were going to put in there, which was this whatever that acronym was at the beginning. You okay. Said-
1: yeah, this is not my uh, Zoom session. So <laughs> let me let me go in and. Uh, see where uh, where my acronyms are, on my list.
2: And the uh, the only thing I wanted to comment on mm-hmm. was uh, this mm-hmm. presentation is very timely in terms of what's happening in the world, namely uh, the Soviet, or, sorry, but the Russian, I uh, didn't slip there, uh, Russian invasion <laughs> of Ukraine and uh, their c- cyber attacks that have attacked, targeted Ukraine, which of course is not us, but it's crippled them and there's a lot of expectations, suspicion that we may be next. So any thoughts about that given the, the fortuitous, I uh, guess, uh, timely nature of your presentation of it occurring right when this stuff is happening right now as uh, Russia's bombing Ukraine, uh, apparently uh, as of today.
1: I mean, I, I purposely didn't go into any of the the, the cyber stuff, but um, you know, but you just looked at the historical um, you know, activities that happened in the past. It, I know uh, you were on the call earlier and uh, it, it's um what we'd call you know probing or, or you know softening a target. It, it's it's you know something we did in the first Gulf War with telecommunication systems. So it's not um you know this isn't a new tactic or technique. Uh you know it the interesting thing though it's is some of the the, the RF capabilities that uh, the last time Russia um you know was uh, interested in the, the Crimea. <laughs> Uh the, you know uh, they don't have the, the 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 concerns for safety and and who's who's you know hanging around their their um, antennas and systems <laughs> that we do uh, so there's some, there's a lot of open source material out there on those types of things um, so let
2: me the other comment I want to make is it's surprising how much a lack of security and cyber hygiene that people practice simple things like they think just because you use uh, ssl or tls uh, you know https to log in your mail server securely the email is somehow encrypted it is not it is clear text once it goes past your mail server in general yeah there may be specific instances where it may be encrypted between providers but generally speaking it's not and people don't realize you have to use uh mine. Uh, you know, uh, secure mine and other uh, similar technologies on uh, and the security certificate in order to encrypt your email. People don't realize that they'll send their PII, personal identifying information, so credit card number, social security number, you know, passport, whatever as attachments across email, not realizing. So simple things like that. It's astonishing how many people are not paying attention to how much they're putting themselves at risk by those simple actions.
1: Yeah, and then uh, there's been this big. Um... You know, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of people use VPNs now and um, you know, they go, oh, I'm using VPN. Yeah, well that that protects the traffic, right? But if, you're, if your uh, machine is, is compromised, then guess what? You know, it, it's it's behind all the traffic then actually what's on your machine that, you know, is, is not protected, right? So.
2: And if you're using a VPN to send unsecure email once it gets past the VPN server, it's still unsecure. I mean, so that does nothing to protect your, you got to look at exactly what the path your, your, your uh, data is taking.
3: So with that in mind, um, has the design of software progressed uh, beyond uh, defense in depth to, uh, if you're going to assume that intruders have already compromised your system, uh, maybe uh, the design of the system should assume Good faith, rather than assuming that the unknown is an enemy.
1: Um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I misinterpreted your uh, response, but I would assume the opposite, um, and that's where we get this idea of zero trust architecture now, where you don't you don't assume uh, any interaction, you know, between applications. Um, you know, between processes on your your system are, are, are secure. So, are you saying uh, we have a, we advocate for um, uh, assuming trust, or or the opposite?
3: Well, I guess uh, paradoxically, it would be both because I'm, I'm I'm assuming let's design systems without any any information being vulnerable, but. Uh, you know trust but verify for everything internally in the system as well as externally so no compromise would uh, be fatal to the system
1: yeah um i kind of when i when i brought this this book up I, uh, ex- this, uh, this background filter is just killing it um yeah chaos engineering i think i've, I've got the, uh, a link for that too um that, that's with exactly what the folks at uh, Netflix decided to to do when they, they figured okay we're, we know we're going to have these failures we're just going to build it into where okay we know we're going to fail um and and let's build the systems to to be you know let's say proactive instead of reactive on it
3: so thank you for presenting this and is your survey going to be available as well as a transcript in the, in your in your link
1: uh, yes, and now uh, let me see if um, there was a, I said there was a dead link, for which one was that uh, Santosh? The, the RAND one or the, the DAU one?
2: It was um, the, the guidebooks URL, the PPP equals, uh, okay. and the before Impact Analysis, that's so a... Yeah.
1: will um, will allow me to drop files in here. I've been on teams an, an awful lot, so I'm not sure if Zoom does Zoom let me uh, drop files. If you have uh, yeah at- I think
0: that file transfer seems to be disabled.. Oh, okay. Uh, but I copy your uh, a chat posting to everyone. Okay uh, So already so uh, if you're okay, I can, um, we can we can post all your posting uh, the links here uh, afterwards on our website. Uh, okay. and I, the video.
1: yeah, and I've got, yeah. I've got, I've got some, um, some better. Um, yeah, I've okay. got, i got, a, i can give you a, a more. Um, instead of an ad hoc list, I can give you a more extensive list of um, okay. you know, references yeah. and documents.
0: Because afterwards, we, we post a video, but we also have uh, post the uh, uh, some of the additional information for the speaker on our website as a blog. Uh, so we can put, and then we send a link to everyone. Uh, okay. to the uh, resident attendee and, and uh, actually you mentioned about this is not your zoom but actually uh, you know for for selecting everyone uh, that's actually for for the speaker uh this the same you know it's re- it really have uh, uh, almost the same level uh, as as the host you know okay. so uh, i don't know why you cannot select everyone but i copy everything you posted there and afterwards we will post uh, on the website as well of okay. course, you say you have something you can uh, send to me. We'll post it there, uh, so that people have a complete list.
1: That sounds good. Yeah, I've got a better, uh, a cleaner list, and just uh, you know, give you the whole laundry okay. list of. Uh, it has all the reference documents and what's required too. Um, I stay away. I'd stay away from all the. I stay away from all the policy type stuff. I didn't think that would be so interesting. You know, we know we have to do it, and. Um, you know, we don't have time really, even to we didn't do the exercise piece of it. But there's, there's, there's steps in the process to take, and it's it's all well documented. You don't, you know, unless you're doing it for a, a program in particular, you don't have to, you know, go go ahead and follow the exact process. And in fact, you can you can expand on it and you can tailor it a, as needed.
2: I uh, just a heads up, uh, some of the at least two of the URLs you posted are dead links. And, uh, and many of them are repeated. It's taking you to the same page, so just a FYI.
1: Okay. Well, apologies for. That. I'll give. A, I'll get a better, uh, a better list to uh, to Ken.
0: Yeah. Then then we'll post it. Uh, the complete list uh, later tonight or, or whenever uh, 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 Scott provided, it. You know, in the next couple of days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll get it to you.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, folks, this is a great opportunity. This is very uh, exciting talk. So, uh, uh, I think you you are all your microphone are all in, 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 uh, enabled, so you can unmute yourself and uh, uh, ask your question. Um, so, while are waiting, actually, you mentioned about the VPN. Um, but you see, VPN, as central she also mentioned, you know, it's secure but also not secure because it still goes through the VPN provider and the provider has the information. And that if you if a user not careful even though you're secure but if you type something uh reveal your personal information is still not secure you know the issue that actually just, yeah, the actually, that
2: yeah not so much that the vpn can't be trusted even if you could trust the vpn and it was you know mother Teresa vpn service whatever the issue is once it gets past the vpn all the vpn is doing is, is hiding who you're where you are and who your isp is it doesn't hide what you're sending through once it gets past the VPN, so wherever so if you're sending stuff up unsecurely through the VPN, all you're doing is you're sending information that should not be going out to the public through a VPN, and it's ultimately coming out of the VPN at the other end and and, and being leaked that way. That's the point I was trying to make.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. it just just provides the tunnel. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah. And also personally, I think also some people are talking about, I mean, you know, whether this VPN provider is trustworthy, you know, that's your information or they have your information, you know, so. You know,
2: I'd like to make is uh, using a VPN to connect to Facebook and then publicly posting all your personal info on Facebook through <laughs> that VPN.
1: Yeah, a good example.
0: Yeah, and actually, Scott, while, you know, people are waiting for people for more questions, actually, when you mentioned about this, you uh, a company have some kind of evaluation for, you know, supply chain, and you have to ask about certain question to make sure it's secure. But is there anything like a uh, index? You know, is a company uh, rate? Is any rating for a company being considered safe or not safe or certain level? Like uh, you know, for a restaurant, you have the Michelin, you know, ratings. Uh, is there anything like this for company supply chain provider?
1: There's um, there's some uh, newer companies that are out there that provide that type of service. Uh, one is is Blue Point. Oh, I can put drop it in a link um, that provide you know some types of services. The um, the consulting you know the big four consulting companies have kind of gotten into the that field. You know it's, it's but it's you can't um, you, you mean it it's only as um, it's only as, uh, let's say it's, it's perishable data. It's only as good as maybe their last inspection or things uh, that it's, it's, not, um, it's not, some of that it, it's not very timely, okay. So yeah, the point is, is um, they're done. I wanna make sure I get a good link here. Uh, uh, they've, they've, uh, they've put out some things where they kinda, the uh, service where they can rack and stack. Let's see.
0: If you want to post thing in the chat, you can select panelist or everyone. Yeah. There's a drop menu you can select. So it That's has nothing to do a... with post or <laughs> the
1: Okay, call. now I get it. Was it attendees? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that it was a separate panelist. That's what you were saying. okay. Yeah. So you were just yeah. doing. That. Um, but yeah, there's other um, companies kind of getting into this this field. It's um, uh, you know, there's um but there's no like one, one stop shop. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a Bloomberg terminal to kind of wonder, okay, what, when I talked about the acquisition type stuff and, you know, the ownership piece of it, uh, but there's not one, you know, holistic, you know, okay, this is the product I buy, or this is the service I get. And I can get all the feeds that I need to get. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, it's a growing area. And I guess maybe there's a, there's a business opportunity there if, if people could figure out, I think it's just gotten so, my problem's gotten so wide and broad that I don't think uh, any one company can even do it at this point. I think it's, um, you know, too large of a, a, a task to take on. Because uh, yeah, each, you know, each
0: Yeah, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, on the browser, uh, the, when you type HTTPS, they, you know, there's a lock icon and, uh, you know, a different level, if you reach more information, secure uh, level, and then you have the uh, different information there for your level, uh, trustworthiness, you know, something like that. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I, I think very interesting what you mentioned about the the, the consulting thing and the web page. But this related to my next question. You know, um, how much you think? You know, the, the how much? You know, for different size of company, what, what's the probably the proper ratio for uh, investment into cybersecurity protection uh, versus the rev- revenue? You know, maybe 1%, 2%, 5%, uh, those kind of things. Is there any kind of a rule of thumb, you know, for this kind of investment?
1: There isn't. I mean, when you if companies like Gartner that and Forrester, they'll put out surveys, you know, because they, they've come in from the IT side, but they've also covered the cybersecurity piece of it. Yeah, they look at a, a good spend for IT is what, at least a minimum of 10%. But then, if you're chunking, you know, cybersecurity out of it, how much does cybersecurity get? Um, so I would, you know, I, I would obviously go higher. Um, um, and I mentioned the mergers and acquisition side of the house. Uh, when you're you're doing a merger and acquisition, your your cyber risk may be well, your liability, let's say, would be well beyond what your purchase price is. So it becomes like, well, why are we going to invest in it? Um, and I, you know, I would really try and focus on. The aspect, okay. What's that's why I try and focus on what's most important. The overall cybersecurity spend, I think, is increasing. Obviously, you know, just look at the numbers, you know, year after year after year. But a lot of times, it just gets, um, you know, it gets gets lumped into the IT budget, let's say, because maybe the it's the CIO that uh, are the ones that are handling, you know, the the, the cyber piece and uh, the CISO or it's a director of information security would would report up there. So they're the ones that can control the purse springs. Um, you know, you mentioned though uh, a little bit of, okay, well, is there any regulatory type uh, oversight? Well, the SEC is getting more involved with um, with these types of activities and they're, they're applying ratings and NSMP and Global. So when you're talking from, uh, you know, publicly traded type of environment, yes, you know, there, there's definitely more regulatory and, and um, you know, uh, I, I mentioned, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, some industries are, are better than others at it, um, the, the energy sector, they were kind of self regulating themselves in a way, financial services, they, they, um, they're probably uh, the, the caliber, they're probably the gold standard and the, the high bar that everyone would, would look to meet. Um, so, um, you yeah, I, I would probably take okay. Well, what's uh, if it, any any financial services company out there? What, if you can, you know, pin them down and see what their cybersecurity uh, spend is. Uh, I'd probably use that as a as a hey, this is probably where we want to be as as far as um, how what percentage we should spend. Uh, okay, Scott. I think there are two
0: questions here. One is from Randall. Uh, did you see that in chat servers? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> Google had, <laughs> you know, and, and Amazon, I mean, there's servers everywhere outside the United States and, and Zoom, you know, I remember when Zoom kind of became popular and it was like, oh, wait a minute, they uh, you know, you have to, you know, they came up with a service, okay, you have to actually select, you want a U.S. Uh, server for your Zoom platform, right? So I don't, I don't think there's inherently a problem. Uh, when you're talking about, um, you know, information that's uh, you know property of the U.S. government or we're obligated to protect, that's maybe you get into those types of questions. But um, no, as as a as a general rule, no, I wouldn't say that there's a a problem with the uh, servers being um, located outside of the United States. I guess it, it would be depend where, um, but you know everything's connected, so it, the physical location is is less, um, you know, at least from my perspective, less, um, you know, important than, you know, who, who has access to it, you know, virtually and digitally, let's say.
0: Yeah, you are right, Scott. Actually, I also remember in the beginning, you know, AIAA purchased this uh, Zoom system, and uh, there was a, 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 you know, way you can select whether you want the server in China or the United States, you know, you, you can choose, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And did you the yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and they, they've they've come out with you know Zoom for Gov and all that, because those are FedRamp approved yeah. and FedRamp's the you know the, the cloud um, you know certification. So I mean, uh, if 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 it's critical and to your business or if you're um, if you're a DoD type environment or even the federal government environment, and it's important and you have to follow that that guidelines, yes, then it's important. But I, me, I don't I don't inherently see a a problem. Um, you know, it, it, the, we didn't really talk about cloud much, but you, when you're when you're hosting anything in the cloud or your applications, you're bringing your own security anyway. So it's not like you're uh, just kind of relying on the, the your know, cloud service provider to do that. Your your apps and your, your data should should be secured in a way that um, you know is protected anyway. So
0: yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the next level. You know, right now people uh, their company putting the uh, uh, system you know, app and along with operating system, you know, in the cloud. So there's a, a more security issue. But did you see the second question about, oh, uh, just, you know, come back to the Zoom. I think there are some companies they don't allow uh, using Zoom app, but they allow the employee to use the Zoom on web, on the website, but they don't allow you to use the app, to install the app. Um, okay, so there's a, yeah. in the q box, there's a question, did you see it from anonymous attendee?
1: you mentioned aerospace it? and pharma? Uh, SCM ISO required compliance. I didn't specifically address uh, aerospace or uh, or pharma, pharma. ISO required compliance. Um, you know they have their own rules to to you know to to go towards um, aerospace. Um, you know I, I I mentioned it briefly with um, you know ISO standards. Uh, the 2700 series is, is, is where, where, where we talk about um, information security management program. So again, um, but the, you know, ISOs are, are you know, you have to pay. You probably can find, you know, some information about it online. But if, if you actually want the uh, actual Standards themselves—it's a required payment—but um, you could probably find enough you know, training materials and things of that nature, you know, just on white papers. There's just a wealth of knowledge out there these days that um, that you know companies uh, you know provide as uh, you know as a, as a service. You may have to go behind and you know, provide your email address or something, but there's lots of white papers out there. If there's something specific that you're you're uh, interested in. Uh, with regards to, to pharma, um, farmers is, there's there's um, organizations here that I belong to, and and farmers well represented uh, at at these uh, information security, uh, you know, uh, events because um, uh, because of San Diego and, and in Irvine and even in Los Angeles, there's you know some some big pharma type companies uh, here. So uh, but there's there's quite a bit of it actually in this region. So if there's something that you want to get involved in there's plenty of uh, you know meetup type groups and um, you know they're generally sponsored by you know security vendors and product vendors but if you're on LinkedIn and you want to hit me up on LinkedIn I could put you in touch with with folks in that industry um, it's growing the need for cybers you know been been growing they've been they've been uh, you know they've been staffing like crazy you know within the past I'd say five to seven years that um, you know that I've been uh, here at, at, at aerospace so
0: yeah, you're right. Actually, I met some of them. You know, the farmer in Simi, Simi Valley. There are a couple of pharma, big farmer over there. And, and uh, you know, some company, I, I met some people from Simon Tech, you know, uh, you know, or some company, but, you know, they, they didn't really want to come out to, uh, well, I'll try to uh, talk to you there. Uh, I think Brian raised hand. I think Brian has a question. And uh, then Randall has a qu- another question as well.
3: Yeah, Brian, Brian. here. So- Good, Brian. With regard to the servers in the different countries, um, you know, engineers uh, know that uh, bits are the same internationally, but uh, different countries have laws regarding uh, data storage. And I think that might, might be where the, the concern about the servers comes from.
1: Yeah, and, you know, so GDPR is, is the, the big one for the, anyone that's doing business in Europe and that's if you follow the news that's why uh, google and facebook oh we might have to pull you know facebook from europe because their privacy protection laws are are more uh, strict but uh, if we go away from the privacy part what about um, what about your ip right well if it's hosted in a country that you know is just stealing ip anyway i wouldn't you know i wouldn't, I wouldn't want my information there if it's sensitive uh, I think that's where it would come into the equation You're gonna you're you know, how comfortable do you feel uh, having it hosted someplace else? So maybe that, maybe that answered it a little bit more.
3: Well, the question I had before that was, um, have you ever gotten a uh, Google response that says uh, your, certir- your security certificate is out of date?
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: But- but it's not out of date. And what's what's happening is that the security certificate is not trusted. But because of the multi-level nature of this, you can't tell if the website you're trying to contact has a bad security certificate or if you do or if the intermediate uh, servers do. And be- I, don't, I don't think that the average user is sophisticated enough to correct this problem. So they probably bypass it.
1: Yeah. And just, you know, click anyway, you know, trust and try, you know, click the site anyway, that, 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 you know.
3: Yeah. And then what?
1: And, you know, it's taking, you know, it's, it's, it's that risk based decision. You're making the risk based decision to to go ahead and click it. Uh, I did well, see a, a question in here too, about national, do we have a sure. national firewall like China? I'm uh, personally, no, I don't think so. I mean, I'm more of um Kind of the internet and uh, you know freedom foundation type person. <laughs> I think it it should be open and you know there should be some bounds on it, but uh, definitely not. I wouldn't I wouldn't want a, a national firewall. Um, I just think that would stifle innovation and creativity, and um, I, I just don't I just don't think that's the right approach. Um, I mean, for security reasons, um I just don't think we're we're I don't think that's the right answer. <laughs> you know I think collectively we all can do better instead of just relying on you know, let's say government or uh, some technology to help uh, protect us at that level. That's just my own personal opinion though.
3: Well, individual systems administrators block IP address block because they de- detect threats coming from there.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And that's, that's a service, you know, you you can pay for, there's lots of free service out there. You can, uh, you know, get that updated constantly. Uh, correct. Um, you know, blacklisting or, you know, the, the opposite approach, whitelisting only allow these, you know, these, these IPs and these ports, that kind of stuff. I hope we, we don't get to that level where it's kind of uh, where we Oh, you can only have to have whitelisting, um, but that that's a, a solution especially if if you you know if you have to lock down certain segments of uh, of your network or certain certain machines in certain areas
3: i mean the the people that run china they must have a problem with something otherwise their you know their block blockage of the internet would just simply be an imaginary problem That why are they going to all this trouble to block an imaginary
1: problem <laughs> And I, like I said, I don't want to get to that level here.
0: Yeah, but I think that's a little bit political side, you know, <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to, to uh, comment on that. Uh, yeah, actually, Scott, actually, um, well, I mean, Randall has a question. So maybe Randall, he, he, did you see it? What about the backup secure net?
1: As far as, uh, can maybe can I expand on it, Randall? Come off mute again. Randall, do you want to speak out?
0: Well, I mean, it, it, some, sometimes I notice Randall might have uh, some issue about the microphone. Uh, so while we're waiting for him to elaborate, I, I have a two quest, question, uh, maybe you can come It's not actually the question. One is that uh, now these days there are, are people renting the data center space. Then you can uh, give, put your server to them and uh, they have the space for you, and uh, they took care of all the security. Uh, do you think that's uh, uh, is, uh, is be- had better security, or you suggest actually companies should have their own uh, server in their own uh, uh, facility? And then the second thing is, how do you, do we comment? It's uh, uh, the real hardware server, or you know, the virtual server. These they are very popular. So, do you have any comment on the security? Uh, you know, in between those two.
1: Uh, so the first one it sounded like um, um, I, I saw this question more expanded on on-prem versus off-prem uh, with uh, with kind of services built in. I guess it depends on your business model. If um, you know if it makes sense for you to to provide you know that well to 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 outsource it, um, you know definitely do that because. You may not especially small medium sized business, they don't have the resources to to fully staff a full, you know, secure team to constantly be getting those feeds in, finding those IPs, you know, that that we just talked about. So it makes sense to use a service. And um, especially if they don't you know, have the expertise for uh, cloud, it's evolving, it's a changing technology. So you're gonna constantly have to, you know, train your employees and um, usually. Yeah, IT staff. It may be high turnover anyway, so uh, so I think it makes sense to to outsource some of that. Um, whether it's um, you know it's a bare metal uh, outsourced, uh, outsourced off prem type thing with some security services or not, or the the second part of it, um, I think um, you know uh, it. Uh, I guess it, it's the same thing. Uh, maybe almost like it, you know, kind of depends on. What you think is is best for it? Um, it the the cloud, it, you know, it, like I mentioned before, it's it's bringing your your own security to it. So um, there, there's cases where it, it makes sense where it's more secure, but it also from the financial perspective, it makes sense not to to lift and shift everything to the cloud, right? Um, there's things that you 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 may want to just keep uh, you know on prem, bare metal. Uh, you know, the fact that, you know, Amazon offers, um, you know, S3 buckets and, and, and their offerings, they've got, you know, right, nine times redundancy on, um, you, know, you know, their offer. That makes that very appealing. Uh, but then that comes with a cost, too. You, you don't maybe you don't, don't want to put everything in that. You don't need, you don't need that avail, that high availability all the time. And you don't need all that redundancy. And so maybe some of the other types of systems... So I don't, I don't think it's right now, we're at a one size fit all, like it makes sense to to move everything. Um, you know, companies are feeling the pain of, of moving to the cloud. You know, There's a lot of companies just kind of just moved everything and and applications don't work. Um, you know, we, we didn't really talk about ransomware at all, but of the big things with ransomware too, is that everyone thinks it's the data. Okay, we need to recover the data. Well, it's if, if you're getting a ransomware, uh, you know, Pop, pop up on your screen and a notice, and you're locked. Chances are it's already probably been out there on the dark web. It's already been, it's been exfilled, it's already being sold, or it's for sale. So you can go get it. You can get that data back. That's not the hard part. It's reconstituting those um, those interfaces, those uh, how the applications interact. That's the hard part. That takes time. That's the long, you know, a pole in the tent when it comes to recovering from. Uh, a cyber attack that's involving ransomware uh, in particular. Uh, The data is, you know, you get the data, that's probably not the hardest thing you have to deal with, but it's how those applications interact. And, um, you know, sometimes that's just better having that, um, you know, what you really need critical, uh, let's say, you know, in-house. So hopefully I answered the question. I know it's kind of a long answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, of course, these days the the more uh, things like the Docker's, you know, the those those kinds of things, you know. Uh, yeah, I I think Randall uh, uh, kind of ex- expo- uh, expanded a little bit, elaborated. Yeah, did
1: it's you see a, that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we've got that. I mean, we've got what's what's called Cipernet, right? But you know, it, it runs on the backbone of your regular internet. It's <laughs> just encryption. You know, if you're talking about a, a, a separate network you know we've looked at all those types of things but you know talking about the long-haul comms you know it, it's still going to run on fiber that goes under the sea right or or you know underground maybe when we when we're talking future technologies and we're, we're using uh, satellites or, or some kind of other terrestrial means of uh, besides satellites to communicate maybe there's a there's a good viable option for that but you know we have, you know, the a separate type of net for, for, for national security. It's just, um, you know, it's got to run on, on something else <laughs> because there's no, the infrastructure isn't there, just built out for it, so. Yeah, as uh, you start this
0: question, actually remind me of uh, experience. Um, maybe like 20 years ago, I was in East Coast and uh, what happened, there was uh, suddenly, there was a storm, a tornado, a touchdown. And, uh, you know, then the city lost power Everything, you know, nothing worked, but one thing did work is the landline, the landline, the phone was working. (laughs) So, you know, I was able to get some help or something like that. So maybe that's something what uh, Randall was kind of referred to. It doesn't have to be high tech, like satellite or something, something basic, but reliable. But you see, these days I noticed that AT&T, even AT&T, they're abandoning the landline. You know everything become internet, so maybe that's kind of you know uh, uh, risky. But you see, there's no more landline, uh, so if anything disaster, there's no such thing. So, you know that experience gave me very strong impression. Uh, you know, uh, you know some something backbone. You know, basic but still working. You know.
1: Yeah, I am. You know, I installed my own alarm system into my house in in Seattle, and it was UL certified because I wanted it to be UL certified. But it was a, a landline, and that's you know the mm-hmm. response capability. I didn't I didn't want to go with, you know the you know, there's wireless technologies I could employ it on the sensors. I'm like, nope, I'm going to keep it all hardwired. You know, copper so, <laughs> um Yeah, yeah. There's there's but that you know. That was years ago, and I guess I have succumbed to you know no more landlines for me. no more landline.
0: No. The, the Los Angeles while and ATT has ditched ditched the landline, no more. Yeah. Oh uh, uh, Brian has uh, uh sorry, sorry, can you take one more question? From yeah, Brian. sure. Go ahead. Brian, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I'm just gonna say the landline uh, typically the local exchanges are battery powered for reliability. That's what they and uh, ATT or the local phone companies installed, so that's why. They're available when there's a power failure on the electrical grid, but uh, the cell towers are not necessarily the same way because they're connected to the electrical grid. So,
0: yeah, I have a yeah. friend that during uh, September 11, he was working the a company next to uh, uh, the cell phone tower, and uh, because you know that uh, the 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 building, you know, twin tower has the cell tower, you know, on top of it, so you know there was no cell phone uh, connection at all. Uh, he, he could not reach his family, you know, uh, uh, you know, he, he know, his family was very worried about him because he worked right next to it. Um, but there's no way they can reach it because the tower was knocked out. Knocked out. Uh, so, yeah, maybe that's what you were, you were saying, Brian. Yeah,
3: yeah so who's, uh, who is overseeing the national um, redundancy of the, the security infrastructure for the nation?
1: yeah it falls under D- DHS and they've come up with uh, the critical infrastructure what there's there's 16 uh, let's say you know industries uh, that were created Now i think they're you know space where we're trying to be part of the the critical infrastructure will probably be designated i think if if not um, you know soon you know uh, so DHS homeland security is the one that has, that's that's the responsibility falls under yeah, so, and then for the cybersecurity piece, that's uh, CISA, C I S A. I see.
3: And the internet is inherently reliable anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> actually, Scott, you mentioned about satellite. So I, I, so you mean that satellite is actually um, uh, uh, more reliable, you know, uh, for for than internet uh, or the 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 five G, six G.
1: Well, it could be when you look okay. at um, Starlink and OneWeb. I mean, it, it it certainly could be. I mean, and 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 I meant um, not just space. It could be other ways too. There could be other, um, you know, terrestrial uh, instead of space terrestrial type options we could look at. It wouldn't just have to be uh, space. And I just looked at yeah, it's still not. Um, still not a designated as a critical infrastructure. So be on the lookout for that space, maybe uh, designated soon. Yeah, <laughs> so.
0: but, but you know the recent news, right? The space has lost 40 satellites, a starting satellite due to the uh, 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 solar storm. Yeah. Solar yeah, And the asthma drive. We have a speaker, uh, Dr. Henry Garrett from JPL. On March 5th, he's going to uh, briefly talk about the physics you know how the uh, sun, solar storm, affect the atmosphere and the, the drag and cause the the issue. You know, so I I don't know. It's <laughs> more uh, more uh, reliable, uh, maybe more secure, uh, but uh, kind of physical
3: condition. I don't know. You know.
1: Yeah, there's there's um, it's a big unknown right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: It's I don't think space is as re- I don't think this it's as reliable or secure as terrestrial right now.
1: Mm.
0: That's, I thought it was more secure, but maybe not more reliable, but you are saying that, well, I don't
3: know. Well, if you can intercept the transmission and then decode
1: it. Yeah, RF is just RF signals. I mean, that's, that's that, that, Otherwise, it's not can't. magic. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see.
0: Okay, folks uh, it's kind of late uh, is anybody any question I think uh, we, we we can uh, uh, if you any question you're welcome to contact uh, Scott or you can let me know I'll relate and uh, actually there are a lot of very exciting things here actually Scott didn't touch the ransomware uh, much and also the dark web and also there's uh, you know like a server security uh, and those, those kinds of things. So hopefully, you know, uh, Scott will have time to come back again, uh, 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 pick up some, you know, uh, to tell us more about the uh, exciting uh, stories.
1: Yeah, and I'll uh, be sure to give you some um, a good sheet of references for, for some okay. of the topics I covered. And that, with, uh, with additional adif- additional guidance.
0: Uh, well do, well do, well do. All
1: thank right, so folks, thank you so much.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks, <laughs> bye-bye. Courageous, yeah, bye-bye. man what did you say brian
3: uh thank you scott for your presentation it takes a, oh. it takes courage to do so <laughs>
0: okay thanks yes scott is a good speaker very good speaker yeah so uh, hopefully we can uh have more opportunity with you next time
3: i look forward <laughs> to looking at your materials that you uh are sending out
1: all right ha- have a good night you, too, you nice. too thank you scott thank you
2: scott solano drop off